Welcome to the CRE Podcast, 100% Canadian, 100% commercial real estate. Now, here are your hosts, Aaron Cameron and Adam Pawatic. Welcome to the Commercial Real Estate Podcast, powered by First National. I'm Aaron Cameron. With me, as always, Adam Pawatic. I'd like to thank Yardi for sponsoring this particular episode. And of course, thanks to Inform on the Real Estate Forum for setting us up with Kathy. Kathy Black is the Vice President of Development for Fiera Real Estate. Thanks for coming on, Kathy. Thank you for having me, Adam and Aaron. So before we go any further, it is April 7th, 2020. We're locked in isolation, operating from our basements or in isolation, I should say. Kathy's got a beautiful Hawaii background on our Zoom chat. So it's at least a refreshing look rather than the, the depressing black basement I've got behind me. Very innovative anyway, technology that we I know, have. I like it. No, it's seamless. <laughs> I mean, for our, for our seasoned listeners that have been listening to us for a couple of years, hopefully, you know, we've just transitioned away from the really ugly, gaudy setup we've got. Now we're going to do all our podcasts from... You know, our boxer shorts in our basements. Um, <laughs> Kathy, thanks for coming on. Let's start, as always, with just kind of your background. What was the path that led you to kind of the vice president of development at Fiera? Sure, I'm happy to be here today. So I have about 17 ex- years of experience in this field. And the last 17 years working in development, it's been a really exciting space having gone through, you know, different regimes, different governments, different policies, and having seen through a lot of that. So through my career, I've successfully overseen over 30 projects. So for a total value of maybe over $2 billion and delivering about 10,000 units. Those range from multi-unit high-rise buildings, big executive single-family townhomes, you know, some commercial retail assets as well. My areas of expertise really is in the municipal approval process, a lot of the pre-construction design development, schematic design, and project management. I've worked with various municipalities, and then each and every one, the unique policy challenges that they face. So taking projects from due diligence to land purchase and project feasibility, due to land zoning, site-specific planning, and then going as we move into construction for contracts, negotiation, change management, and scheduling. So essentially, you know, each and all parts of development, really from A to Z. Yeah, I have a, my expertise, I would say, also is in managing, courting all the various consultants and the engineers, bringing the team together to really consistently deliver successful projects. And then in terms of Fiera, I mean, it's worth mentioning, of course, we have had Peter Cuthbert on before. He was back on here in, uh, I believe, December or so. So the audience should know a little bit about Fiera, but can you kind of describe the, the company's setup and how you operate? Sure. So if you're a real estate, we're really a real estate investment management team. So on behalf of our clients and our partners, we grow the money that we manage by acquiring existing commercial real estate assets. And then also specifically for the development team, we participate in development and redevelopment opportunities of all property types. So where we recognize that there is a lack of supply, that is always perfect for us because that's what we would be targeting. And also, you know, as seen in this at this time with this pandemic going on by addressing the supply shortages, we really are placing ourselves in a defensive position and, you know, in the eventuality of this market slowdown. So where we're targeting these urban areas with greater demands, it proves to be a very important strategy. So how big um, is the sorry, Kathy, how big is the development fund that you kind of oversee? So we currently have three existing development funds. Fund one and fund two were really set up and established in Montreal. The majority of our projects there, there's about 25 within fund one and fund two. Those are all located in Montreal. And then within the GTA area, 
between the core fund, which is our open-ended fund, and our opportunistic fund, the closed-ended, we have about nine projects. So the difference between the two funds really for the open-ended fund, we're concentrating on a developed two core. So it would be product where we would be holding the asset at the end of development versus our opportunistic fund, closed-ended seven years in term with two one-year extensions. At the end of that term, we would be selling off a lot of you know our existing share of it. Development of condominiums usually sits within our closed-ended pocket only because right. that's the strategy that we like to employ. There's a finite end to it. So we were talking off air beforehand and we have a, we want to talk about COVID, but you know, for those that are regular listeners, we've been spending a lot of time talking about COVID and quite frankly, I'm just sick and tired of it. So let's, maybe let's set the stage, you know, development, you know, Kathy, you know, better than anybody else. The development process is six, seven, eight, ten years, right? From like land acquisition to delivering kind of some kind of product. So, you know, COVID being a disruption for four, five, eight months, whatever it is, really, you know, it's going to have some impact, but not a significant impact on your sort of overall objectives, which is, you know, bringing development all the way through the process to delivery. But we have to acknowledge, you know, where we are and what we're doing today. So why don't we just talk about how COVID has impacted your different developments kind of at different stages, whether you're in the entitlement stage, you know, pre-construction, construction, whatever it may be, and just kind of talk about the challenges you're facing. And then we'll move on to talking about the specific projects and kind of we'll get away from COVID and let's just talk about happy and nice things for a little bit. Sure. So, well, the thing with COVID is that we're all facing it right now. It's, it's new territory for all of us. It isn't something that we know how to manage. But the positive to that is that all the brightest minds globally, they're working on solving this problem. So whether it be a, you know, five, six, 12, 15 month problem, we know that it will come to an end and that we will be able to progress and move forward from this. So being April the 7th, as you may know, in the province of Ontario on Friday, there was an announcement where there was a change to the essential businesses list. And previously, construction sites were one of the things where we were able to proceed business as usual, for lack of a better term, although, you know, there were a lot of different tactics employed on site in order to better protect all of our site staff. So whether it would be to bring in additional washrooms, providing heated water, you know, managing the way that meetings were held, mostly outdoors rather than indoors in close proximity to one another. That was being, you know, the site was running for most of them as usual, especially for the sites where we were doing all of the below grade work. It's easier to be outside, easier to be maintaining the distancing and all of the government mandated regulations. So as of Friday, April 4th, 11.59 was the time where we had to pull off site. Any construction site that was not deemed as major infrastructure or helping with the hospitals, so any industrial commercial sites, those were shut down. Residential sites, if you had an above-grade permit in hand for mixed use and new residential sites, you could proceed as usual. Anything else? obviously fell under the non-essential business list. And then we've had to shut those down as well. So what do you have to do on those sites? Yeah, what do you have to do on those sites that maybe either don't fall as residential or that you don't have above grade permits? So as of 11.59 on April 4th, all of those sites that do not fall under that category, you've had to shut down sites. So as of today, there's no one on site doing any work. However, you know, understanding that, especially if you're in excavation or shoring, you can't leave a big open hole there. You have to make sure that it is safe. So for some of the sites, anything that's essential to prepare for an eventual shutdown, 
that work is still proceeding. But all the other sites, it was us. But for all of the other sites, without those conditions, it was just a full stop. From a budget perspective, there's not a huge impact. Is there like, clearly your schedule is being extended. So there's some interest costs, presumably for financing these things. I guess there's some carry costs, but is it, it's not sort of an astronomical hit to the budget, right? Like your bottom line will hopefully ultimately be maintained fairly strong. That's a very great question. And it's dependent on whereabouts you are within your phasing. For one of our projects, the carrying costs on a monthly basis. So of course, this is inclusive of the laborers on site, construction managers and whatnot, whatnot, without any sort of negotiation. The carrying cost on that one site alone was is about $158,000. So that's on a monthly basis times, you know, X amount of months. For some of the other projects, if you're, say, in the entitlement phase, absolutely. And this is where our partners, you know, a lot of our partners are doing a really great job in that they are still managing their in-house staff providing them with options to work from home, being able to, you know, provide them with all the technologies and platforms available so that you're still working through as efficiently as possible. So now with those projects where we're going through the entitlement, now you're working with the municipalities, you're working with the consultants, you're working with, you know, there's professionals who all at the same time as you are, are we all, we're all working from home, recognizing that we have to create these digital platforms to keep these conversations going and supporting each other, you know, being able to still proceed as much as we can for those projects. It's not as concerning in terms of carrying costs because it's really based on, you know, a lot of your office staff only. And in terms of, you know, managing this over a six or 12 month time horizon, what's the, is there any ways that you can make this a softer blow or financially less damaging? Is there any strategies there you're doing to mitigate the negative impacts that you'd experience on your projects? So again, this is very project dependent for some of these projects where we are able to cut back on costs to try to manage that we are. The problem is that with a close-ended fund, though, there's always, you know, towards the end of the fund life, that's where you could fall into some issues. Because now if our fund is, you know, we're working towards a schedule and construction is to start on X date and you're not meeting those target milestone dates as you're proceeding through your project, then now we could really be meeting the end of the fund date and then not being able to proceed to final closing. And then at that point in time, you know, we'd have to find ways of trying to shorten the construction schedule. So it would have been lost time that right now, if we're taking a project through the sales to get it into construction at the end of the year, if we're not at that point where we could do sales launches now because there's limitation on a gathering of large groups, then that's where, you know, we're falling not just at a risk of uh, going over budget but also going outside of our, at the end of our fund term. I guess force majeure does not apply for the, uh, for the funds. So unfortunately it does not, no, <laughs> or <okay>. not yet. <laughs> <laughs> That's unfortunate. Well, that, I think, is that anything else on COVID related, anything else that you want to mention of, of what you're kind of seeing right now, you know, on April 7th, so to speak, like, you know, what are the challenges you're facing or is that kind of, it's, I think we covered a lot there already. Yeah. So, you know, just to give credit where it's, do. I think a lot of municipalities, they have adopted, you know, great use of technology in ways in helping business run as usual. So for the past six months or so, and I know that's because we have some projects in the city of market and they've been accepting planning and development applications online. So it's that uh, we've actually submitted even as of two weeks ago, a site plan application on an upcoming project. 
So they've been doing that really efficiently. And they, fortunately for the city of Markham, they've adopted that system a few months well in advance. So it's being fine-tuned. The city of Brampton, I know that they're continuing with their inspections for existing projects, but they've adopted even an FTP server where you can submit development and site plan applications online. For Toronto, that's inclusive of North York, Scarborough, and Etobicoke for the past few years. They've been accepting and also issuing occupancy permits. You can do that via an email. And then also for the past few years, they've been receiving payments for a variety of applications, and that can be done over the phone to a cashier. I know the city of Richmond Hill, during this COVID-19 process, they just adopted a new process for all of the new development applications. They're still receiving them, but they've asked that they be submitted via courier versus in the past. This was all very much a in-person, over-the-counter application process. And then for the town of Oakville, active development, they're still reviewing that. Municipal staff, they've all been set up to work from home, but it would appear that there are no new applications that are being reviewed. So the cities are adopting that. Yeah, cities are adopting. And I think, you know, if there's any silver lining of all of this, it's just the... And it's been an ongoing discussion through various municipalities. How do we better do this? In Finland, I know, and Europe is, still, I mean, it's a different beast. Even for their drawings, development applications and whatnot, they take it through a building information modeling. So it's a BIM process and it's mandated, it's necessary. But all applications are all submitted online. Staff, municipal staff, they review all the applications on their own time. They're given a workload. They respond via this portal um, that you have and everybody gets the information and it's seamless and you still get to proceed and proceed. You're allowed to dream, Kathy. You're allowed to dream. (laughs) You know what? If there's a time to be talking about this, this is the time and it's proven. I mean, Markin's doing a great job in that. So if we can just, you know, all adopt a similar type of protocol, I think we're moving in the right direction. That could be a silver lining from all of this. You know, be like Markham, spreading across the, uh, the province. Yeah, we could hope. Well, we're streamlining and, you know, fine-tuning any inefficiencies, right? So if you find a method that works, adopt it. So I know that Aaron's trying to, you know, brighten his life by focusing on something other than COVID-19. So it'd be great to kind of talk about some of your projects in detail. You know, as Aaron spoke about at the start of the episode, these are all, you know, this could be five to 10-year processes. And so we'll look at them in a more complete sense. It'd be great to kind of talk about some of the projects that you're working on right now. I know you've got a handful in the go throughout the GTA and there are various stages as well. So it'd be interesting to kind of talk about where you're seeing successes in them and what you're working on. Yeah. So, you know, a lot of the, it's funny because the industrial condos are an asset class that's very interesting. And it, I'd say in terms of development, it's an easier process in that construction for it. It's a shorter timeline. And even the entitlement is a product most municipalities, they welcome. There's a great shortage within the market. So they're always very receptive and they try to cooperate as much as they can to try to push it forward. So you know, I know we wanted to move away from COVID-19, but the one thing that I'd have to say is that we have our project in Vaughan where we're very much affected by it. It's two buildings that we have, you know, it's 24 unit and 10 units on our 24 unit. We just fortunately had our final inspection last week. It was signed off on. They're ready for regist- condo registration this week, which would still proceed because city staff is still working. But <laughs> for our building B where we're you know, in the middle of finishing up the interiors with demising walls, as of Saturday, we had to stop. 
So there will be a, you know, a slight delay on that, hopefully just one or two months. But that's Kathy, a very who, interesting project. Who, who are the end buyers of the individual units? So the end purchasers are, you know, smaller business owners. So they're looking for spaces, you know, between 5,000, 6,500 square feet or so. So smaller Bay end users. And is predominantly owner-occupied then? Yes. The is majority there... of, our, of our purchasers here are owner-occupants. But there is a case to be made for buying one of these as an investment property? Sure. Well, it depends on the market that you're in. If you're within, I mean, in Branson, there's a lot of, I think the majority of our purchasers in our Branson and our Vaughn project are end users. But I'd say if there's, you know, a market there in Branson, people would be buying it to lease out, you know. These are smaller units, so it's very specific types of uses. How how small is small? So the smallest one we have is about 6,500 square feet. That is a very deep uh, buyer pool for that size. Exactly. And the funny thing about, there's not a lot of land that you have where you're able to provide and offer this product anymore. I find that even for one that we may be participating in is essentially for a condo project, for the industrial condo, it is a, you know, would be considered excess land off of a bigger piece to be able to, you know, still play in this area. And this could be just my impression. I think I've talked about industrial condos more in the last two years than the previous six, you know, combined. And then I hear as well from developers that they, they are fairly profitable. So are you seeing in the, you know, amongst your competitors as well, uh, increased interest in developing these? There is. There's been a lot of interest in developing this. Um, the problem with this type of asset, again, would be just land, being able to find the land to be able to provide that. Just so if it's, a lot of if it's zoned employment land, that's, that won't qualify? Like, what's the zoning that you need? Or what, what's the inhibitor that's preventing, you know, any industrial warehouse from being kind of treated this way? Well, it would be business. So a business park designation would allow it to be an industrial use. And within that, there could still be limitations. So it just really depends on the municipality. You just have to look very clearly at the bylaws and what the zoning allowances would be for that. So when I say the limitation is that, you know, sometimes there's a piece of land mostly out in the, you know, greater Toronto area, not within Toronto downtown proper, you would be buying larger lots. So with the larger lot, you know, obviously the price per acre drives up the price for that. So, you know, and that'll really dictate the type of product that you're delivering. So that would be more conducive to the big bombers for more hold products rather than the industrial condo. And is industrial condo something new to Fiera? So Fiera participated in the industrial condo space within the GTA. We own a lot of industrial assets, but obviously not the industrial condo type. So for the first closed-ended fund that was started within the GTA, participated in two industrial condo projects. Okay. So is that the most interesting or, I guess, unique asset class you're working on right now? That is unique, and it's one of the, I'd say, you know, easier for lack of a better term. But obviously, we do have our... You know, condominiums, there are three projects within our closed-ended funds within the, the GTA and then also an office building. So of, the, of those three, which is the, if the office condos are the easiest, which one's the biggest pain in the butt? <laughs> <laughs> well, not so much just pain in the butt, but really it depends on the municipality that you're working with and how cooperative and how easy it is to go through. So no development project is easy for sure because otherwise everybody would be doing it. You know, trying to work in cooperatively with the city to deliver a project that they would be supportive of. And then also, you know, keeping in mind that we are dealing with residential neighborhoods in some of these areas. So, 
you know, being very cognizant of what it is that the business community and the residents within that area want. It's a fine line between, okay, we're going to try to maximize everything for profit or are we going to do, you know, work on a project that serves the community and also at the same time serves the partners and Sierra. So I'd like to think that we're more of the latter. (laughs) Okay, I'm going to ask a question that you're not going to want to answer. I apologize in advance. So, I mean, you're doing a lot of stuff. It seems like in the GTA, and I'm going to try to phrase this properly. What are the characteristics of a municipality that you enjoy working with the most? You don't don't name a municipality, just list the characteristics. And then I'm going to ask you after that to just maybe identify the opposite end of that spectrum. What are the characteristics that you really, you know, bother you when trying to get a project through the city application process? Right. So one thing that we have to keep in mind that, you know, we do really have a lot of great people working at all of the municipalities or across the GTA and the different cities. I don't think that anyone's objective or goal would be to be there to stand in your way of moving forward with your business, especially when it is to deliver, you know, much needed homes and much in when you're working on rental buildings. Also, it's, you know, it also serves a different type of, you know, demand that is desperately needed within the market. So I don't think anyone's objective is to stand there in the way. That's not what I was saying. No, 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 no. But I I appreciate, I appreciate your sentiment. Like everybody's on the same page. Everyone's trying to work. Everyone's on the same page. No, but I'm getting into why I think it's difficult. (laughs) I'm not placing blame on any individual at all, but seeing that we have, and in some municipalities, it's two tiers. So we are being governed by various policies and policies that are made by, you know, whether those policies are made because there's an objective meeting a shortage, being able to, you know, supply something within specific neighborhoods or whether it be to like who's forming these policies. So to get to your question, essentially the planning staff, they will now be, if you're in Toronto, then you're working on the city of Toronto any secondary plans, any very local policies within specific neighborhoods, then you're also looking up to the province. Okay, so now what are some of the policies that the province has mandated and how do you marry the two together so that it's seamless? And then as you're writing your professional staff reports, you're addressing all of these things. So the best thing that I like about working with the different municipalities and where I find there to be most success between the developer and the municipalities is that you have staff there that's interpreting all the policies that they need to because there are specific checklists and things that you have to abide by. They go through that. And at least if there is not a consensus on something, you get a response. So you try to work cooperatively with one another and there's a decision that's made. So that's always the best. It may not be the decision that the developer wants to hear, but there is a decision. So once that's made, then okay. If at least I know what you're thinking, we can now work together to try to, okay, well, let's achieve what it is that would, you know, get this project past the finish line. And the thing that is most difficult would be just lack of response all around yeah. yeah. Let me, let me, can I, can I translate? These are, and I'll, I'll qualify. These are my words, not Kathy's. Um, <laughs> but it sounds like it's really the less politicized the process is, the more smooth it transpires. You don't have to answer. That's just the way I interpreted what you were saying. You know, and, 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 and to be fair, we've heard that many times. Like, it's absolutely true. When the decisions are being made more from a more pragmatic standpoint and the city planners have a little bit more control, certainly, usually you get better decision making at the top and more concrete and faster decision making. 
is there, well, you is do there have professional planners on your planning staff, right? They know what good planning means. So yeah. if you're allowing them take the politics out of them out of it and you know move forward in that sense, it's always a positive. Can we talk about the office development for a minute? Sure. So was that done? I know that the spec office become a bit of a trend more recently. Was this done in spec or did you have it released? No. So for the office space, we're actually still taking it through to the, we're in the final stages of the entitlement. So site plan, it's just slowed down a little bit, obviously with everybody working from home, but it's not, you know, it's not a spec build. We will start with the leasing efforts shortly. Okay, but it many- is shovel ready in that. So it is shovel ready. And there was a little bit of delay in that just because there were different, um, you know, there's a rail mitigation study that we had to employ specific to this project because it's in the junction. It's right where Metrolink is going across. And so having said that, there's a little bit more massaging because then now you're bringing in different arms and different businesses that you have to further negotiate with. How many square feet? How big is that, Kathy? Yeah, so in the junction, we have a, you know, very interesting seven-story office building, just over 155,000 square feet with uh, mass timber construction. So a lot of, you know, the tenants that we're targeting for this would be more of the tech sector. And being that it's in the junction, it's, you know, really cool, the neighborhood with lots of amenities. So that would, uh, yeah, I look so, forward so to it's not a 1910, it's not a 1910 <laughs> brick and beam building. It's a 2020 brick and beam building. <laughs> Yeah. It's a very, it's a very cool building. It's, you know, it's, it's one where, you know, Fear would be proud to be staying in as well. We were talking off air. We actually had Jonathan King, who was the architect on that file on the podcast a year and a half ago. I guess, Adam, maybe we'll put the link in the show notes if you want to go back and find out more about that particular development. Yeah, Mass Timber is obviously one of the hot new building trends. And Jonathan King was on early to talk about it. But uh, yeah, that was very early on in the process. So it's nice to see continuity in the podcast following along in this development. It's interesting. Yeah. Uh, so if you have seven stories at 155,000 square feet, that's actually, you must have a pretty decent sized site, which would be tough to get in that location. Yeah, and you'll see that a lot of the sites within this area, because, you know, being in the junction, it is uh, an up and coming neighborhood. There are a lot of people looking out there. You would have to find a lot of site assemblies to come together to be able to create such a good site as we have. And then, what do you, I don't want to get too far into it, what do you anticipate for lease up there? Are you, are you going to see premium rents, do you think, for a non downtown location? I think that with our vacancy rate being as low as it is with across the GTA, you know, and this is obviously pre-COVID-19. I think there will definitely be a bit of a market slowdown over the next few months. And we're reaching the highest unemployment rate at 20%. That's unprecedented. Although, you know, on the positive, this is a, you know, a very, very much a health crisis and, and it wasn't a market issue. So whether it be six months, 12 months, we will see an end to it. You know, there might be a bit of a slowdown to try to pick back up, obviously, with everybody coming back on board through work and whatnot. But, you know, there will be an end and we will get through this. So with the challenges that we're facing, it is, you know, there's a definitive end. It is the short term. So with that, the lease up on it, you know, it is calling for some good rents. It's not downtown Toronto rent. But for that neighborhood, it is premium rent. Well, I think that's a good high note to leave things on, the the sunny outlook on how fast we're going to bounce back from COVID-19. I know that Aaron needs that as a morale booster to hear. So it's uh, exactly. for him. <laughs> as all of us do. So yeah, just, I mean, in closing, I think it, and in this environment, a lot of development projects could be impacted by a number of risks. 
know, increases in construction costs, just carrying costs that we have to bear, work stoppage. So now our projects in Quebec are also, you know, under the same mandate as we start to come back online. You know, I think the performance in the projects that we have, it'll survive. It's just a matter of time. It's a short term, you know, whether it be 12 months, there's definitely going to be some sort of, whether there's a vaccine or a new drug that comes on board, or if it's, you know, looking within our current medicine cabinet and, you know, the scientists finding something that can resolve this, I think there'll be a return to business as usual in the near future. So we'll be back to podcasting in person soon, I guess, rather than uh, this remote uh, situation. Yes, you won't get the Hawaiian background, but you. (laughs) (laughs) I will recognize you when I see you in person. (laughs) You won't have this beautiful sunset behind you. Kathy, I want to thank you for coming on today. It's, it's much appreciated get your insight into the development world. I want to thank First National for powering the podcast, Yardi for sponsoring this episode, the uh, Real Estate Forums for making all of this happen. And yeah, so thanks for sharing everything, Kathy, today. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to the CRE Podcast. The information from this broadcast is not to be relied upon as financial investing, professional accounting, or legal advice. First National Financial LP holds Financial Services Commission of Ontario License Number 10514 and 11252.